YouTubers, thrill seekers, woke mobs, and sleeping patriots. Hello, I'm Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. Here at Professor Liberty, we like to make history come alive. We strive to make economics understandable, and we work hard at teaching government and civics in a way that's fair and honest. You know, like how the media is supposed to be when covering events of the day. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I hope you'll go back and don't forget to give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. Unless you hate the show, of course, then don't do anything. But if you've listened this far, I'm assuming you like the show. You know, life is funny. Actually, life is kind of weird. Throughout history, we find good people as well as bad people who seem to be at the right place at the right time. And this changes the course of history forever. Another interesting thing about history is nicknames. How people get nicknames as part of their story and their history kind of surrounds the nickname. We all know the most popular nickname, which people probably gave themselves, is The Great. We have Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Darius the Great, Catherine the Great, which is the only woman I know to hold that moniker. We also have Constantine the Great. And I've even heard Genghis Khan, sometimes referred to as The Great. There are some other not-so-fun nicknames like Vlad the Impaler and Ivan the Terrible. Today we're going to discuss former President and General Ulysses S. Grant's nickname that he got after the battle at Fort Donelson. Today's episode is entitled Unconditional Surrender, Grant. So let's go back to our discussion of people being at the right place at the right time and how they get nicknames. Well, for Grant, those two situations kind of happen at the same time. If you were to study Grant's life before the Civil War, you'd think he's just another nobody. He was a humble soldier. He graduated near the bottom of his class at West Point. Uh, you know, he had a few episodes of bravery during the Mexican-American War. But, uh, you know, after that, he didn't have much to show for life. He, he resigned his commission. He went back to uh, Illinois. And uh, he ended up, you know, when, when the Civil War came, Grant found himself selling firewood. Uh, so he wasn't, it wasn't a success story at the time. Uh, he also failed at farming and he tried real estate. Uh, but when the war came, Grant decided to reinstate his commission and he raised a volunteer regiment to help save the Union. Well, anyone who's familiar with the military should know that the brass a.k.a. the head honchos in charge, aren't going to give a commander of some small backwater volunteer regiment any important missions. This being the case, Grant and his tiny band of volunteers were relegated to maintaining the defenses. Sounds like fun. Growing tired of this chore, Grant appealed to his superiors for taking a more aggressive role in the war. His appeal was granted and Grant's forces started heading west. It seems Grant didn't take long, causing a ruckus. His first victory in the Western Theater was at Fort Donelson. Fort Donelson lay at the Cumberland River, about 80 miles west of Nashville, Tennessee. 
Donaldson and her sister Fort Henry were important military targets because they protected crucial farmlands, the city of Nashville, as well as munition caches. Fort Henry was the first to fall, but the Confederate surrendering at the Fort Donaldson in 1862 uh, is going to mark several firsts all at once. So let's talk about these firsts. To start with, Fort Donaldson is considered by many historians a Union major victory, a major victory for the Union, like a first major victory. Okay, they've had little skirmishes here and there, and the Union has won a couple battles, but nothing of significance. Most people forget that the Confederates were mopping the floor with the Union uh, those very first years of the war. So, for example, uh, Battle of Bull Run or Manassas in 1861 was the first major battle of the war, and it was a Confederate victory. The Battle of Wilson's Creek in August 10, 1861 was a Confederate victory. The first battle of Lexington in Missouri, the Battle of Ball's Bluff or Leesburg, as well as others, were all Confederate victories. But around the beginning of the year 1862, so January, February, And coincidentally, around the same time Grant finds himself in the Western Theater, the Union victories start to roll in. The Battle of Mill Spring, Fort Henry, the Battle of Roanoke Island, and the Battle of Fort Donelson are all Union victories. And they happen all within several months of each other, uh, or several days. And with the exception of Roanoke Island, which is in North Carolina, they all happen in the Western Theater. So going back to this idea of firsts, uh, Fort Donaldson is going to be the first time you hear of Grant's nickname. And so let's talk about the story there. The Confederate General Simon B. Buckner was left behind to, uh, to sue for peace. There was a couple other Confederate generals, and they both escaped, kind of knowing that the fort was going to fall. They both escaped to avoid capture and embarrassment. So good old Buckner drew the short straw on this one. Buckner thought that his old war buddy Grant would be generous in negotiations. Buckner and Grant graduated one year apart from West Point. They were both Midwesterners, and they both came from middle-class backgrounds. So what was Grant's reply to good old buddy Buckner and his request for peace? And what were the suitable terms under which the Confederate forces must observe? Grant's reply was, quote, no terms except unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works, unquote. Buckner was taken aback by this terse reply. But looking at his situation, he submitted to these terms, and this is where another first comes in, the first unconditional surrender of the Civil War. And leave it to the media, unconditional surrender corresponds with Grant's first two initials, U and S. So instead of Ulysses Simpson Grant, it became unconditional surrender Grant, very very clever ploy by the media, as we all know, and as if you follow my podcast, we talk about the power of the media of destroying and building up. So uh, because of this, uh, you know, Grant became somewhat of a celebrity. Now, I'd be I'd, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't mention 
Uh, Grant wasn't cruel or arrogant towards his newly defeated foes at Fort Donelson, and his sense of humility, or I couldn't really figure out how to say this, but his common man practicality, his kind of salt of the earth, uh, you know, he's not a big pomp and circumstance guy, uh, is really something to be admired. And if you study Grant throughout the war, he's surrounded by political people. And we're going to talk a little bit about this later. But he's surrounded by people who aren't really there for the war. Really, they're there for themselves. Uh, Grant allowed the Confederate officers to keep their swords and firearms, uh, which was common for the for that time. He fed the other Confederate prisoners. He had Union doctors and nurses care for the enemy. Uh and when this, when this question of a formal surrender ceremony came up uh, against his, uh, his staff's wishes, he refused to participate, saying, quote, Have we not the fort, the men, the guns? Why should we go through vain forms and mortify and injure the spirit of brave men who, after all, are our own countrymen? Unquote. Fort Donaldson made Grant a hero or a 19th century celebrity of sorts, and it even won him the attention of President Lincoln, who up until now couldn't seem to find a single Union general willing to fight and willing to win. So I want to talk about Shiloh, okay? So next came Shiloh, and it was only a few months after Grant's victory at Fort Donelson. And I think Shiloh should always be discussed if you're going to examine Ulysses Grant. Most historians, uh, when discussing, and rightly so, when discussing uh, Grant, you're going to talk about Vicksburg. But I think Shiloh is just as important. The Union objective wasn't Shiloh. Shiloh's just this little church, isolated church in the middle of, you know, South Tennessee somewhere. Uh, no, that wasn't the objective. The objective was uh, this place called Corinth, which is in Mississippi which is a major which was a major railroad hub. However, knowing that Grant's forces of about 40,000 were going to meet up with Buell's force of about 20,000, the Confederates in an attempt to uh, prevent these two forces from combining, took the initiative and attacked Grant. On April 6, 1862, in early, in the early dawn hours, the Confederates attacked. Now, for most of the day, the Confederates seemed to maintain the momentum and pushed Union forces dangerously close to the Tennessee River. Now, let's talk a little geography and tactics here. Rivers make great barriers, but you want to be the army facing the river with your enemy on the other side. You don't want to be uh, the army with your back to the river. And this is where the Union forces saw themselves. But later in the day, as Buell's 20,000 or so troops started showing up, the Confederate advance uh, and the day came to an end. Even though the Confederates lost General Johnston, who uh, is the first highest, or it's the highest ranking casualty of the war at the time, as well as several thousand soldiers, if that battle were to end on that day and the Union forces retreat, it would have been yet another Confederate victory. And I think that's important to remember. Um, and again, this whole story of Southerners taking the advantage, pushing back the Federals, uh, would have just kept going. This is, this is exactly what Lee did in the East. He would take the initiative. He would take calculated, aggressive risks, and oftentimes he came out ahead. So if the battle were to end then, 
it would have just been the same old, same old. This time, however, is going to be different. The aggressive posture of the Confederates was going to be thwarted by Grant, a Union man willing to stand and fight no matter the cost. The next day, Grant counterattacked and pushed the Confederates back, giving the Union another victory in the West. But it was at great cost, and we need to remember this is going to be a theme for the rest of the podcast. Shiloh would become the deadliest battle in American history at the time. Okay, this is the early Civil War, so that, that title is going to change hands many times. There was about 23,000 combined casualties. And just for some context, the, uh, the American casualties for the entire War of Independence was about 25,000. So a two-day battle at Shiloh was more or equal to the entire American Revolution as far as casualties go. So what do you think happened to Grant after showing this great resilience and fortitude and uh, achieving another victory for the Union forces? What do you guys think happened? Well, he was criticized by the press, the same press that built him up, is now tearing him down. And he was criticized by the more political-minded officers. As a matter of fact, his commanding officer actually demoted him. He won, and he was demoted. I want you to think about that. The media slammed him for the high death count and wounded. This criticism would follow Grant for the rest of the war, and even uh, he would even later receive a less flattering nickname, during the Battle of Cold Harbor in 1864. That nickname was The Butcher. Now, we all know he would be reinstated and, in fact, promoted for his willingness to fight and the victories uh, he brought to the Union. But this dichotomy of winning and criticism is what I want to discuss further. There's an old saying, war is hell. And this is an absolute truth. There is nothing romantic about war. War is not a romantic event. It's pain, blood, guts, and death. It's needless destruction of persons, properties, and futures. And yet sometimes we find ourselves in a war. And when you find yourself in a war, you have two choices. You can fight or you can surrender. I was listening to a podcast, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and I can't remember uh, the name of this podcast, and I can't even remember what he was quoting, but he made this interesting point. He said, the most humane way to fight a war is to end it as quickly as possible. And we live in this weird time where we think we're supposed to be sensitive and, you know, and these drawn out wars that our country finds ourselves in, it just causes more death and more destruction. And yet Grant knew that you had to crush the enemy. You had to crush the enemy. Yes, a lot of people die. Yes, there's a lot of death. But imagine stringing this out and stringing this out. And the destructive war, the destructiveness of war just continues and continues. You know, it's in vogue now to, to criticize the United States for dropping two atomic bombs. You know, that, that, you know well, it's, it's in vogue to criticize America for everything. But, you know, what was the prospect? Well, the prospect was, you know, we could invade mainland Japan, and most people said that was at least going to cause a million casualties, at least, right? So, you know, the president and the leaders said, well, let's drop these two bombs and end the war. 
unconditional surrender. You have to crush your enemy's will. That's how war is fought. War is not fought by this tipping a tipping toe and, and tipping around and and well we'll strategically strike this and well no you have to crush your enemy. And once your enemy is crushed, then comes peace. Do you know Japan is one of the most prosperous countries in the world now and one of our closest allies? But before you could get there, you have to demand unconditional surrender. And the World War II is the last time. We've talked about this, I think, last podcast. World War II is the last time we officially declared war constitutionally. And it's also the last war we won by unconditional surrender. But I want to make sure we know this, that Grant had to deal with criticism too. So he was winning, but he was also being heavily criticized. Bottom line, folks, if you're a fighter, you're going to be criticized by those who are too scared or too afraid to do anything themselves, or they're just too ignorant and they listen to whatever the media tells them. Most times, boys and girls, you're being mocked by people who are less than you. They don't know as much as you, and they don't have as courage as much as you. You're being mocked by your lessers. They're more than willing to criticize you, but they themselves will never lift a finger to help. I believe we're in a war today, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a war for the soul of our countries. We're in the war for the soul of the Western civilization. The United States today has evolved into something our grandfathers would not recognize. And if we just sit back and remain silent, even the remnant of what is left is going to be destroyed. We need to fight. We need to speak up. We need to push back. And yes, we need to be willing to withstand the criticism. If you stand up for what you believe, they're going to throw the book at you. Guaranteed. So again, I ask the question, are we going to surrender because we're afraid of public opinion? You know, many of the Union generals, such as McClellan, for example, was really not interested in winning the war. They were politics. They were interested in politics and social standing. Don't forget that McClellan ran against President Lincoln in the 1864 presidential election. Grant wasn't interested in politics, at least not then. He was interested in winning, and winning required a heavy cost. Are you and I willing to pay the cost of whatever battle we are engaged in? Most people aren't. And that's why our countries and most Western countries are a mess. Most people want to sit back and criticize, and few are willing to get dirty and fight. One of Grant's uh, staff officers uh, once said this of him, Grant would try all sorts of cross cuts, forward streams, and jump any number of fences to reach another road rather than go back and take a fresh start, unquote. Now, he might have meant this as criticism, but I see it as a compliment. Grant kept going forward. His instincts were to keep pushing forward, not retreat. So today, let's take a lesson from Grant, who still receives judgment to this very day. And he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. And in his memoirs, he even admits mistakes. But he won. And we're still a united nation because of men like him. This is a fact. And people criticize him today. But if it wasn't for his fortitude and willingness to crush the enemy, we would not be the United States today. So you're going to receive criticism. You're going to receive haters. You're going to receive people that mock you. Are you going to let that stop you? I hope it doesn't. 
Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and send me a message there. You can also follow me on Parlor. If you would like to uh, support the show financially, please go to teacherspayteachers.com. And there's lessons and activities uh, designed by me that you can uh, use for homeschooling and in your classrooms. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.